Hello, Gap Year Universe. I'm Julia Rogers. And I'm Margot Brookfield. Welcome to Gap Year Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing Gap Year adventure. It's October, and in honor of October being Gap Year Exploration Month, today's show we're going to be discussing current trends in Gap Year planning, upcoming destinations, types of travel, things to think about when it comes to sustainability on your Gap Year, and logistical tricks and tips. And of course, we're going to be telling you all the ways that you can get involved in Gap Year Exploration Month, which we also call GEM, as in diamonds. Uh, and we're going to encourage you to follow along in this exciting awareness holiday. Margo, what's what's on your mind as we get oh into this God. episode? <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, I cannot believe that it's fall. It's here. People are back in school. And I know for a lot of folks, fall is kind of, or let me at least speak for myself. I think coming out of summer, summer is always kind of busy and there's always a lot going on because the weather's so nice and it's really nice to have that change of season and some time to reflect and figure out, you know, maybe, maybe some future planning, maybe some exciting travel and exciting things coming up. So I think this is a great time of year to really be exploring all of these options, especially for juniors and seniors maybe who are looking ahead to a prospective gap year in the next couple of years. This is a really exciting time to be kind of slowing down and really digging into this. So I'm excited about that. For sure. As the leaves change and, you know, start dropping from the trees, you can start ideating what your future looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. All right. Well, we have so much to talk about, so let's get into it. being here today and Julia and I are so excited to tell you a little bit more about Gap Year Exploration Month. So it is October. There is so much that's going to be happening this month within GEM and you know Julia is going to tell us a little bit more about it later on as well as she has been intimately involved in this movement for the past few years that Gap Year Exploration Month has been a thing. But just a, a brief overview of kind of what is GEM? What is Gap Year Exploration Month? And really the purpose behind this is to have an extended period of time because we feel it deserves that much time to really celebrate the Gap Year option and provide resources and inspiration for young people who are might be looking to use their Gap Year as a means of personal growth or expanding their education, whatever it is that you might be looking for within your Gap Year. So within this month, there are going to be a lot of different initiatives that will lead to you know resources and information that you as a student or, or a family, if you're helping support a student in planning a Gap Year, the idea is that this month is going to provide you with a lot of different resources in order to make that happen. Another thing about Gap Year Exploration Month, this isn't necessarily just for students and families. This also might be for educators. It might be for other counselors who are Again, supporting someone in exploring the gap year option, but it's really meant to be just a movement for a lot of different people to get involved in the gap year. Yeah. So if you identify as a gap year advocate or even gap curious, this is a great month to (laughs) access all of the different resources that are going to be available and are just going to be popping up on your social media feed or just in your world in general. So To give you, I mean, the basic way to kind of loop into Gap Year Exploration Month, you're doing it right now if you're listening to this podcast, because this is kind of one of the access points for people to get Gap Year information. But you can also, if you're on TikTok, if you're on Instagram, if you're on uh, Facebook or even LinkedIn, um, you can look out for the hashtag Explore the Gap Year. That's the official gem hashtag. And that will hopefully showcase a lot of different content from Gap Year providers, as well as from the Gap Year Association, which is kind of the hub 
of the Gap Year Exploration Month uh, organizing movement. And so on GYA's uh, social media, there's going to be alum videos. So different Gap Year students from different time points, from different programs and opportunities are all going to be sharing their experiences and giving advice on those channels. So take a look at that. And um, after October, the, all those videos are going to be put into YouTube playlists um, that are going to be accessible all year long. So just like our podcast hopes to help elevate different gap year stories, Gap Year Exploration Month also does that through these alum videos. Another way to um, to plug in would be to keep an eye out for Gap Year Association events that are happening in October or other Gap Year program providers that are doing information sessions or other you know points of, of information. So those will be listed on the Gap Year Association's website, which is gapyearassociation.org. And you can also, if you have a favorite program provider or if you're following the hashtag, you'll see different uh, information sessions popping up that way too. And then lastly, you know, if you are already a gap year advocate, if you are the parent of a gapper, if you are an educational consultant, if you are a teacher, anybody like that who wants to share information about gap years with your student or with your in your sphere of influence, we have another effort that we're doing where we're calling uh, these advocates amplifiers. And we have a whole menu of different activities that you can do this year. Everything from just sharing out information on social media, to writing an op-ed, to delivering a public presentation, to gathering with a bunch of friends around coffee and sharing about gap year experiences. All of these different action points are supported with assets and resources from the GYA. So we'll drop a link to how to register for being an amplifier in the show notes, but definitely encourage you to find a way to just explore the gap year this fall. It's super fun, super easy, and it's just another way for students to feel like this is a community for them because I think that's the biggest myth around gap years is that it feels like a solo decision or journey. And really, when you get into it, you discover so many people have done it. People have had so many different experiences and there's just uh, untold ways to get into this really fabulous community of people and alums. So that's a little bit about gap year exploration month. I love that bit about community building, Julia, because I think you're so right that sometimes it can feel very isolating potentially to be venturing off on this path when your peers are going to college and things like that. And there are so many students who are taking gap years every year. And I I think this is a great opportunity for that connection and really just to get excited. Like this is a time of year to really get excited about all the various opportunities that are out there and utilize those resources and all the many events that are happening, as Julia mentioned, to really dig into it. So we are excited to just continue to tell you all more about it and hopefully Hopefully you all can find ways to get involved in your own capacity or within your own community to explore the gap year. For sure. So, you know, with that, um, maybe we should talk about planning gap time coming into 2024. And, you know, we wanted when we were thinking about what to talk about with a gem episode, you know, in the past, we've talked about fundraising for your gap year. We've interviewed people for, you know, USA gap year fairs events and things like that. We've done all sorts of things to kind of help amplify different things that are going on during gap year exploration month. But I love talking about travel. I know that you guys know that we love talking about travel. So Margo, what are you excited about when you think about where gappers might be going this coming year? So many things, Julia. Um, I think that it's been really interesting to see just how travel has continued to evolve over the past couple of years, kind of post-pandemic, and as we're emerging into more parts of the world and feeling safe in doing so. It's been really cool to see, I think, as you know, Julia, you and I have been chatting about, I think there's a lot more off the beaten path travel that's really becoming a little bit more trendy or potentially accessible or exciting to people. You know, there's the places that folks often go and that you see quite frequently traveled. And I think we've been seeing a lot of people who are opting for different places altogether, maybe a different country, a different region of the world, or 
potentially different cities within that country that aren't the top visited places, but this, you know, smaller town or less traveled route that is proving to be really fulfilling for people. So I think that's what I'm feeling really excited about is like different, new, unique, less traveled places. For sure. And I think that, you know, one thing to think about if you are a student planning a gap year and thinking about the geography of where you want to go, every student is starting from a different place. Some students have not traveled a lot. They may have not even left their own state. And that's okay. That means that maybe your geographical reach is going to be a little bit smaller than somebody whose family, who grew up with their family, like taking them on vacations all over the place and who's been on planes tons tons of times and things like that. So I would see that like when you're thinking about your own geographic stretch zone, be mindful of like how much you've traveled and how far you want to go out of your comfort zone or familiarity and think about like scaffolding your year so that you kind of you maybe start with something that's not super scary and different, but if you really have a dream to go someplace that's really unique and has a different language spoken or a different uh, type of, you know, uh, atmosphere and that kind of stuff and culture like that you can maybe do that later in your year after you have some experiences under your belt that give you that confidence. So I think that that's one way to kind of also think about the geography of your year. But that being said, I think one other just thought that I've been thinking about is that there's this myth that that Gen Z are more homebodies than compared to millennials, which Margot and I are, and that they're less adventurous. But that is not what I am seeing at all. Margot, what would you say about that? Do you think that this is a generation that wants to stick close to home or do you see them as wanting to kind of throw themselves, fling themselves around the world? I think there's totally a mix of that. I can totally relate to what you were saying, Julia, just about thinking about geography and that some really exciting and off the beaten path place might be just a couple hours from your hometown. I think that that's very possible to find and a very accessible opportunity to still explore and it doesn't have to be going halfway around the world. At the same time, I do think that, you know, as you've kind of mentioned from your work in consulting, I do think seeing a lot more students who are maybe opting to do like an independent self-designed year where they're traveling more independently potentially, which I think is definitely more adventurous than maybe previous cohorts of students that we've seen over the past few years and that's exciting to see folks really being willing to kind of take that leap of faith and do something different and maybe trusting themselves a little bit more in that. I think from my place as a program provider I've seen kind of a mix of the two. You know some of our domestic programs have been the most popular which has been interesting. I think some folks are still really excited to explore our country having grown up here. Students who are from the United States wanting to explore their own backyard and also seeing a lot of students who are just sort of really getting out there and exploring in a very unique way. So I'd say both on my end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do. I think I, I should, I mean, just to get into actual specifics of countries that I'm seeing students go to, what's funny to me is that just three years ago or two, two and a half years ago, you know, we were talking about what five or six countries you'd even be able to go to because of all these visa restrictions and entry border restrictions because of the pandemic. And now the most popular location for my students this year is New Zealand, which for people in Vermont is the farthest you can possibly go and still be on land somewhere. So I think it's so interesting that that these students are, are really just wanting to go far away. And I think it's really cool. And also New Zealand is amazing as a gap year destination because I think that the farther away you are going, the longer you should stay because of obviously the travel and everything and also the carbon footprint. But New Zealand is a wonderful place to spend gap time for that reason. It's hard to get to. You might as well go there and spend some gap time there. Uh, Margo, what are some other locations that you're seeing as popular? Oh my gosh, I feel like there's been a few that have really been exciting and and hot in the last couple of years. I we 
have talked about this in the past, I think, Julia, South Africa definitely, I think, has been gaining popularity. I've seen a lot of students going into the second half of their gap year doing maybe more of an independent internship or placement in South Africa in some capacity, you know, work travel or something of that nature. Um, mm-hmm. I know South Africa is personally one of my favorite places I've ever been. Just really u- unique place, really beautiful, incredible uh, also far, <laughs> not easy yeah. to get to. Um, definitely very long flights, depending on where you're coming from. But even from the East Coast of the States, it's, it's a ways down there. So um, that has definitely been an exciting spot that I've been hearing For a lot sure. more about on my end. The thing I love about South Africa, too, is that there are there is something for everybody in South Africa. And there's also, you know, they speak English, so it's there's no language barrier for people who find that intimidating. But I have students who go to Cape Town and have an urban experience. I have students who want to go volunteer and go work in schools or in townships where there's really a huge need for extra help in educational and classroom environments. And then they have amazing conservation opportunities, too, for people who want to work with animals or work in conservation or work in marine conservation so there is of every category that I work that I like send students in there is something cool going on in South Africa for that Mm -hmm. I will also say South Africa so the program that I did as a student way back in the day my launch into experiential education a primary focus of our time in South Africa was actually wilderness exploration so we Mm. went backpacking in Sitsikama National Park and we went multi-day canoeing on the Orange River and we went rock climbing in Water Valboven and surfing in Jeffrey's Bay. Like we did all of the things. And so I will also say for your nature loving enthusiasts or folks who are looking for more of an outdoor adventurous experience, I'd say South Africa totally fits the bill on that as well. Yeah, I would, I would 100% agree. And, you know, sometimes people have different varying degrees of like feelings of like, is South Africa safe? I, I find that question problematic because we, you know, we don't like to use the word safe in this industry, but I will say that a lot of times people kind of identify South Africa with apartheid times. That's a lot of parents, like the parents age of, of people's parents are, are really tied to that era. And also a lot of people think about Johannesburg, which is a city that does have a lot of crime and is a really uh, kind of has a lot of security issues around moving around, but that is not one that is one part of the country you can go so many places in south africa and control for risk and if if you are smart and savvy like you can i I traveled there as a solo female personally and i did not feel unsafe at all um because i was being thoughtful um and careful but i think that it is one of those places where you shouldn't worry so much about like personal safety if you are going with a program or going with a volunteer opportunity and those kinds of things uh would you agree with that margo i completely agree i also find those questions to be kind of troublesome because it is also I think also stereotyping certain parts of the world, which can be just challenging to navigate in looking at safety, as you said, not safety, risk management. I think a big thing is anywhere you go could be a risk, right? Anywhere, you know, any major city in the United States, you could end up in the wrong part of town and and put yourself at risk. And so I think it's really important to just think about how to keep yourself safe, how to choose locations and places that you're going that are going to minimize that risk for yourself and setting yourself up for success in keeping yourself safe during your gap year. So I think there's a lot to be said for anywhere in the world that you are traveling, anywhere even locally that you're traveling to just be mindful of those things. So I I couldn't agree more. For (laughs) sure. I mean, just to reframe that for just a second to kind of put like put an underline under your point. I talk to program providers sometimes who do who do sending to the U.S. So they might be sending people from Europe or Asia to the United States for programs. And there are so many families from outside the U.S. that are afraid to send their children to the United States. 
And a lot of it has to do with the reputation we have for crime and political instability. Mm -hmm. So just let that sink in for a moment that because of the the amount of, uh, you know, mass shootings and other types of crime that we have here in the States and, and the reputation that we have for that, that's they are, you know, hesitating to travel in the United States. Which I think is just a very interesting way to kind of think about mm-hmm. our reputation and our standing in the world. <laughs> a very fair point. So I think more more to be said for, you know, really thinking about where you're heading in the world if you want, if you have the ability and and, and desire to travel internationally. Definitely something to think about in relation to how you interact with your own community here in the United States, right? How you keep yourself safe here, doing those same things when you're traveling. Right. And that perception is perception and what you think about a place may not be the reality when you're living day to day in a place. So one other place that I think has been popular since the pandemic, especially because this was a country that let people in pretty easily, you know, um, in that kind of emerging travel uh, moment in 2021 was Costa Rica. And that place is another wonderful location that has so much to offer, especially for students who want to learn Spanish. And, uh, and there's so many volunteer conservation courses that you can take in Costa Rica and so many great ways to have those kind of uh, like outside experiences. Uh, have you been to Costa Rica recently, Margo? Oh, I have not in a while. I was actually supposed to go in, uh, what was it, June of this year to help launch one of our programs there. And I have been dealing with a back injury and I had to cancel the trip. So I was very sad because I haven't been in since 2015. So I was really looking forward to going back, but it, it was, you know, eight years ago when I was there, one of my favorite places. Mm, I'm actually going in November. So I'm yes. pretty excited. I don't know. Did, did I tell you? You that? did mention it. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think it, it's such an accessible place. It's very navigable. You know, the food's incredible. The scenery is incredible. The people are incredible. I, I truly could not speak highly enough of Costa Rica as a, as a destination. And again, just if you're coming from the United States, somewhere that is very easy to get to but still feels far like you you definitely feel like you're you have traveled somewhere very new and different but um you know not not too extensive of travel to get there yeah yeah uh, you know it's interesting i know that i've probably used this analogy before on the podcast but it's been a while so i'm gonna redo it um i when i'm talking about uh destinations international destinations for my with my students and they are also skiers and snowboarders i will use the analogy of like green you know green circle blue square black diamond when I'm describing like the level of difficulty in traveling in a foreign country. And so if we're rating different destinations that we're talking about today, I would say that Costa Rica is pretty close to a you know green circle as far as a non-English speaking country goes. So there's a lot of places in, you know, we're going to be talking about some places in Europe that I also would consider in that scope. But I would say like South Africa is more of like a blue square because some of the public transit and things like that can be a little bit more complex to navigate. But I would say that Costa Rica is a very user-friendly experience for for a beginner traveler. So definitely think about Costa Rica if you want to do some independent travel in Central America and you want to kind of get your feet wet. I love that analogy. That is so great. Just, yeah. Very applicable as someone who loves to ski. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's great. I know you also mentioned, Julie, I think you've been seeing a lot of students who are going to Italy. Is that still something that you're seeing as a really hot spot? Yes, definitely. Uh, I think that Italy really, I, I, I don't know if it's the if it's the moment in time, but I, I work with a lot of students who are interested in art, both studio art as well as art appreciation. And of course, you know, Italy is one of the epicenters of, of art history and Western civilization art history and those kinds of things. So I think that that's been one of the reasons why so many people are attracted to it. It also is one of those countries that lives 
and looms so large in the cultural imagination of Americans uh, in the same way that Japan does uh, for a lot of people who love anime. If you love food and you love art, something about Italy is like pulling you in like a tractor beam. I also find Italy to be an extremely friendly and easy place to travel. Uh, so that's a great a great spot if you're hoping to do start some Euro railing or, uh, you know, do some backpacking travel in Europe. Absolutely. I went to Italy for the first time a couple of years ago. I hadn't have not traveled much in Europe until that trip. And I was very impressed by just the range of different things that you can experience in Italy. We were primarily more on a, a mountain hiking trip, but we spent some time in the Dolomites in northern Italy, and it was some of the most beautiful landscapes I've ever experienced and some of those incredible hikes I've ever had the pleasure of going on. So from that perspective as well, which is I think where my brain often goes, is like, where are there mountains? Um, there is some incredible kind of mountain exploration that you can do in Italy as well outside of the sort of more city art history food type of stuff. Um, really, really incredible. For sure. And I think that that we're going to talk a little bit about kind of emerging destinations and other ways of traveling a little bit later. But I think it's also Italy is one of those places where, you know, it is heavily touristed in Rome and Florence and the Sorrento coast and some of those kind of uh, Venice, obviously. They're they're so heavily touristed that there's all sorts of new. It's like going to Disney World. You have to kind of buy passes and you have to have reservations. And there's all of these ways that they're trying to control the crowds. So Italy is a big country and there are so many under the radar little hidden gems and places to go where you can experience Italian culture um, that are maybe not what you'd initially think of. So my invitation to people who are thinking about going to Italy is to, you know, think about like an agriturismo stay where you go and stay on a farm and do some woofing or other places in other areas of the country that you may not have thought about, but are also really, really cool. Um, I know that like because of the popularity of the White Lotus, like Sicily is like very popular now too, or was it Sicily they filmed it? Wherever that, wherever the hotel was, everybody's like flocking there. So when someone, <laughs> when you hear that people are flocking somewhere, go somewhere else because you don't want to have to deal with it. A hundred percent. Yes. I think that is a really good point. Lots of, yeah. there's so many different places in all of these countries, especially in Europe that are just as exciting or beautiful or have a lot to offer as well besides the the heavily touristed or more popular destinations. So I know that's something that you have discussed, Julia, kind of this, the secondary places that you can go to. Are there any other spots that you're really seeing within a country that's been really popular that there's like a new section of that country that is is really worth a visit? Well, you know, thinking about another place that I love, Ireland, which is an extremely tourist-friendly gapper friendly green circle kind of country for gap year students especially because there is no language barrier and it is a very it is a more laid back country than the UK and uh, the people are so friendly so I would say like Ireland in general is a great destination for gappers and I think that as far as your question I mean Dublin is kind of the first thing you think of when you're thinking of like an urban location that could be amenable to a, a gapper and I would say if you want to do an internship in an urban location abroad and are a little bit nervous about like Cape Town or something that's further away Dublin's a great one to consider. It's not necessarily under the radar, but still a great one. But I think that, you know, there's a, a gap year program called Irish Gap Year, and they're actually based kind of in the northwest coast of Ireland. And I think that just their presence and their growth of their own programming up there has made kind of Dun County Donegal more popular amongst gappers. I think it's kind of put it on the map in a cool way. And that is a 
absolutely gorgeous area of the country. It's kind of between Giant's Causeway, which is up in the north, all the way down uh, to Bundoran, which is uh, which is kind of on the coast as well. All of that coastline is rugged and wild, and there's so many cool hikes and things like that that you can do to explore up there, castles and all of that good stuff. And then you can kind of go all the way down the west coast to Galway, which is also just such a cool city. So I would just say like northwest coast of Ireland is a really cool place to explore too. Oh my gosh, it's been high on my list to still have not been to Ireland, but hoping to hoping to add that to my travel docket for sometime soon. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to go to next, Margot? Do you want to talk about emerging destinations? Do you want to talk to, about more cities or what do you feel like? Let's talk about emerging destinations. You know, what are these places that are maybe, yeah, haven't been as popular? And we talked about what's trending right now, but, you know, I think there's still some places that it's kind of like starting to see people going to or that I know I can speak from my own personal desires. There's some places where I'm like, oh, I really want to go there. And it's somewhere that I don't hear of people going all that often. So, yeah, let's talk about emerging places and what are you seeing? For sure. Well, I think that when we're talking about trends, talking about places that are less touristed is a trend. So this, when we're when you go to you know travel industry events and things like that, that is what they are talking about because um, with this like renaissance in travel in general, people are really asking themselves like, how can we be more sustainable as far as destinations? Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that you can be a sustainable traveler is to kind of spread yourself out a little bit more and not necessarily flock to the most popular destinations in a country so, or in a, in a in a continent. Like if we're talking about Europe, so. So um, I want to hear about what you have to say about Slovenia, which is a place that you don't normally connect with when you think about Europe, but is you said you had a fantastic time there. I think Slovenia is somewhere that I've been sort of hearing more about from from a few people. And I feel like our, our conversation days ended up being somewhat Eurocentric. And I do think there's a lot of other spots, too. But I think Slovenia is somewhere that I personally was not super familiar with, again, never having been to Europe And I have since heard of multiple people going to Slovenia. And what's really cool is that it is kind of on the, you know, it's still within the Alps. So it's very mountainous, very, very beautiful. And a lot of really small towns, which is just really fun to kind of like we stayed in this tiny little town of probably a couple hundred people with, you know, beautiful sort of alpine lakes and mountains all around. There's lots of backpacking that you can do. I had a friend recently who traveled to Slovenia and did a sort of hut to hut trip through the Slovenian Alps. Really beautiful, really incredible. You know, there's the main bigger city, I suppose you could call it, of Bled, that is that is a great spot to visit and is a little bit more urban feeling while still not feeling like an overwhelming city. It's not like I didn't, we didn't experience necessarily huge skyscrapers and that sort of a thing. But if you're looking for more of a nature escape, small towns, incredibly friendly people, and truly fantastic landscape, Slovenia should definitely be on your list. Mm, I love it. Um, I mean, I know that I talked about this in our previous episodes where we just talk about travel and, and favorite places, but I, I mean, I see Colombia on a lot of emerging destination lists, and it's not a place necessarily that I see students, gap year students asking me for, but I did have a student of mine go there last year because she was a dancer and she specifically wanted to learn um, like Afro-Caribbean dance. And so I was like, you need to go to Colombia. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that Colombia is such a cool place. And it is it is a place where you still need to be a very savvy traveler. I think if you're navigating around the country. When I went, I stayed on the, uh, on the Caribbean coast. I was in Cartagena. I was in the mountains in Minca um, and a little bit off the coast as well in some of the islands. And it was... It was a dream. I mean, it's and Cartagena especially is not hard to get to, but I've also had students do all sorts of backpacking more inland and down towards some of the other cities and, and things like that, Medellin and such. And um, it is just a, a magical 
place. I mean, if you've seen Encanto, it is that it, it does feel magical. Uh, it is one of those places where everything just seems to have a golden glow about it, especially um, in the coast and in some of these um, colonial cities and things like that, but also out in the country where uh, the, there's just these uh, emerald green mountains um, and such amazing wildlife and bird life and things like that. So um, Columbia, man, go there have an experience. <laughs> oh my gosh. Another one, Julia, that has been so high on my list and I still have not made it there. But after your trip recently, I am seeing all your pictures. It's definitely, it's rising quickly to the top of my list. <laughs> Would love to get there soon. Another spot that I will say I have been hearing a lot more about, and this is particularly from like schools asking for programs for their students, you know, school groups that are wanting to go to the Middle East. And Jordan has been one that schools have been asking us a lot about. And my niece actually, ironically, is studying abroad in Amman right now. And so I feel like I've been hearing a lot about Jordan. I'm seeing some of her pictures coming through on Instagram. I'm I'm really excited about it. My sister was saying that she maybe wanted to go visit her while she's over there. And I was like, can I come along? <laughs> Love to crash that family trip, but just to visit her and explore more of that part of the world. And so, yeah, Jordan is a place that I've been seeing more of. I'm not sure if you've been seeing that as well, Julia. So I haven't seen it as much since the pandemic. I feel like people are just kind of starting, like uh, the people who tell me who I like to send to Jordan are people who really want to learn Arabic because uh -huh. uh, it is a wonderful country. It is, they speak high Arabic. It's a, it has a good accent. So if you're looking to learn Arabic, Jordan is a great place to go. Amman has some really great language schools. People love it there. So I would say it's not necessarily, like, I think that it is definitely an emerging destination. It's one that I, um, you know, would love to send more students to. So definitely put that on the radar. I mean, I also feel like it's worth talking about Morocco. Um, by the time this airs, people, we will be in a rebuild phase after the earthquake there, which was devastating. But that is also a location where um, I send a lot of students. There are a lot of really wonderful uh, organizations that, that work there and that uh, it's a cool place to travel and the culture. It, it is a very multicultural country where you can speak Spanish, you can speak French, you can speak Moroccan Arabic. It is so incredible. And I would anticipate that there are going to be some aid organizations doing rebuild projects in Morocco. So if being in a Middle Eastern uh, country and learning about that culture is interesting to you, perhaps consider some, some volunteering in Morocco as well, because I know that they're going to be in a rebuild phase for a really long time after that incident. 100%. What a, what a devastating earthquake. And I know that we've been communicating with our partners there. Morocco, I was there in December of last year, and it's honestly one of my favorite places I've ever been. I think just truly, as you're saying, such a multicultural place, such incredible history, lo like longstanding history. Um, it is just incredible. And so 100%, I know that Julia has been sharing some things on her Instagram just in terms of, you know, organizations to donate to or, um, you know, potentially those might also have volunteer opportunities. I'm not sure. But I think definitely any ways that we can help help in Morocco, I think that that is, is very yeah, poignant right now. Sure. And to kind of look uh, as well back into, you know, Asia, um, I, I think that Vietnam, Cambodia, those are both places that I think, um, you know, when we think of like kind of mainland Southeast Asia, a lot of people automatically think of Thailand um, or Singapore or something like that. But I think that uh, there are so many great ways to backpack and to experience uh, Cambodia and Vietnam. Uh, obviously, Siem Reap is in Cambodia. That's like the amazing temple complex. Uh, Vietnam has this train that you can take from north to south. And there's a very different culture in the north and the south, food, different food all sorts of stuff there. So I think those are both really cool destinations to explore as well. Oh my gosh. Another two 
that have been very high on my list. Um, hoping to go soon. I actually just got invited to a wedding in Vietnam in February. What? So hoping that oh my we gosh, might be able so to make cool. that a trip <laughs> coming up. Um, those have been high on my list for a very long time. So love that. And I will just add, and I know that we kind of had our list of maybe exciting, more outdoor adventuresome places to visit as well, Julia. And I think Nepal is one that has been just very top of that list for me, especially in terms of Asia. And if you're looking for more of that outdoor exploration, there's incredible trekking that you can do in the Annapurnas in Nepal, as well as just also, yes, rich culture, incredible food. You know, if you're looking to learn about Buddhism or meditation and things, you know, mindfulness practices, those sorts of things, there's a bunch of really amazing kind of monastic institutes that you can spend some time at and learn more about that while you're in Nepal. So I think that's also an incredible place to consider for a gap year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love Nepal. I think it's really special. I think that it is, uh, I would say it is a double blue square leaning into black diamond as far as like what to like um, ease of travel and things like that. Like it's, it's a place where you want to kind of know a little bit, you want to have maybe had some travel experiences before you go there. Not because it's not because like there's anything uh, dangerous, like overtly dangerous or politically unstable about it necessarily, but it is one of those places that has a lot of mountain roads. So you want to be thoughtful about the type of transport you take. Uh, and it's just like a little bit more rugged uh, as a country because of the geography and because of the uh, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, socioeconomics of a lot of the areas. So just be aware of that. But at the same time, like you said, such amazing outdoor experiences, the culture, all that stuff. I, re- I spent a month there and I, I absolutely loved it. I can't wait to go back. Amazing. Love it. Well, Julia, should we maybe jump into talking a little bit more about types of travel? You know, what we're seeing as students are planning gap years, as well as just general types of experiences one might look to during during gap year planning. For sure. Um, I almost feel like we shouldn't spend too much time on types of travel, except for like if you're new the, to the gap year concept, maybe you just need to know like what types of things you can do as a gap year experience. But I think that as far as trend lines, I am seeing so many students traveling on their own or in more grassroots volunteer opportunities than I have since like earlier in my career. So like more than a decade ago, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because a lot of students, they want to be with other peers, but they're discovering that they can find peers traveling. So more people are getting bolder about going, like going the backpacker route and knowing that they'll meet people in hostels and stuff like that. So I think that solo travel, whether it's um, outdoor, outdoor activities like hiking and doing through hikes, or doing work exchanges or just backpacking with friends is becoming even more popular than it was before the pandemic, which I think is a really interesting trend. I think that's interesting too, because I think especially coming out of the pandemic, we saw people who were so desperately grasping for those connections, as you said, for peer experiences and being able to be in person with people. So I think it's actually really encouraging to see that folks are kind of feeling more comfortable traveling and venturing out on their own than maybe previously, especially coming out of this really unique past couple of years that we've had, obviously, socially for everyone. So certainly within solo travel, there's lots of work exchange programs you could do. Um, Woofing, which is working on an organic farm in exchange for room and board, things like that are certainly opportunities. Um, And still, I would say kind of bridging on the solo to more structured experiences. There might be more educational experiences that one could sign up for, whether that is more of a study abroad type of an experience or language immersion programs or other educational opportunities that you can look to for a gap year that might kind of be more independent, but placed with an organization of some sort. So having some scaffolding could be another bridge to that. Volunteering, Julia, do you want to jump in and chat a little bit more about that opportunity for volunteering on your gap year? 
For sure. And I think that volunteering is like hugely popular as a gap year experience and also like has a lot of baggage associated with it. You know, I think that one of the things I really appreciate about my Gen Z students is that they are really aware of the kind of complex and potentially problematic aspects of volunteering in an international context or even volunteering, you know, domestically, but with vulnerable populations or, mm -hmm. or in different settings. So I think that um, students who understand those complexities and can kind of go in with eyes wide open and understand the value that they bring to a certain experience and, and do it well and find good organizations to partner with, volunteering abroad is such an amazing cultural exchange. It's a great way to experience a culture and gain skills and also be giving back to a community. So whether you're working, whether you want to be more in conservation work, working with wildlife or working in data collection and getting field work experience, or whether you're more on the community development side of things where you want to work directly with people, whether it's teaching or working in community centers or doing, you know, work in microfinance or public health or things mm -hmm. like that. Just making sure that you're being really thoughtful about the types of organizations that you're finding and looking for and joining up with. And then trying to invest as much time as you are willing to give in a project site is also going to affect your impact level. Like, I don't think that if you're going someplace for two weeks, you're actually volunteering. You're you're going on some sort of other experience because mm -hmm. you need to be there long enough to, totally you know, learn about the culture and the and the project and all of that stuff. So I would say that like the more time, the better. At least a couple months if you're going to be volunteering somewhere. Uh, I'll make exceptions for like certain conservation programs because a lot of those are set up for shorter term volunteering. Mm -hmm. But if you're working with people, you gotta give a few months at least. I couldn't agree more. I think, as you were saying, just really thinking about the impact and sustainability of things, being mindful of that and, you know, coming in with a critical lens, asking questions, making sure that you really feel good about the type of work that you're doing and the investment that you're putting into it to ensure that that's a mutually beneficial exchange within any sort of, yeah, volunteering project you might be doing. I will also put a plug in that we are going to have an episode later this season to talk a little bit more about ethical volunteering. So if that's something that you're really interested in learning more about, tune in later this fall because we will have an episode solely focused on that, which we're really excited about. Yeah. And, you know, just to top it off, I think we can just talk about these experiential group programs that are kind of the hallmark of the American style gap experience that, you know, you know, Margot uh, is associated with ARC Gap, which is an amazing organization. There's so many different organizations out there that provide this more structured group experience where you have, you know, 12 to 15 or sometimes more of your peers and leaders that are kind of ushering you through an experience where you get to thematically focus your, your opportunity. So you might be focused on a more outdoor experience where you're gaining skills around rock climbing or backpacking or mountaineering or backcountry travel. Or you might be doing something that's more about adventure travel or something that's more language immersion based or something that's more about service learning. So you can really like choose your flavor of experiential program. But these programs are really, really good if you a are a little bit tentative to travel on your own and, or b if you really are hoping for a, in, a facilitated like social experience. I think that's one of the biggest reasons students of mine choose those programs is they want to know that the people that they're, they're going to meet want to be there, that are excited to have similar experiences, and that they just want to form really strong friendships. So I still think that those experiences are so worthwhile for students that want those. Absolutely. And I think too, for, you know, as we've kind of said, if you're looking to kind of get your feet wet, or if this is maybe a little bit more outside of your comfort zone, I think the structured group programs are a great way to just kind of gain skills and sort of launch into your gap year with some 
some structured experiences that might prepare you for more of those double blue or black diamond mm-hmm. experiences or, you know, maybe a more adventuresome second half of your gap year. It can be a great way to just kind of gain some skills in that sense as well. For sure. Yeah. I guess I just want to also just touch on the fact that a lot of students are taking gap time to do career exploration stuff. And there are all sorts of different internship and career related programs that you can do as well. So that's definitely a trend that you can look into if you're interested in getting some career related professional experience on your gap time. Awesome. Well, I know we had a section just to discuss sustainability. I love that you've already kind of touched on this a little bit, Julia, just in terms of, you know, really thinking intentionally about where you're going and how long you're staying somewhere and things like that. But something that we've seen is a really hot topic lately is slow travel. I think especially here in the United States, I can speak for myself, tend to kind of like go from one thing to the next, always so many things going on and kind of trying to, um, you know, instant gratification is something that we're seeing a lot. I think especially with this, you know, new tech age of of people that are constantly on their phones, you can get things immediately when you need them. Um, Um, whether it's information or food or a ride somewhere. I mean, everything's at the touch of your fingers. And so I think it's really important to think about as you're going through these experiences to slowing down, really soaking it up, really thinking intentionally about how you are moving through a place or an experience so that you are really getting the most out of it and not constantly looking for the next thing, but kind of sitting in a place and slowing down and disconnecting and unplugging in ways that we often don't get to on our day-to-day lives. That's a trend that I've really been loving that I think can also contribute to the sustainability of your travel. You're not just kind of absorbing and consuming nonstop in a place. You're sitting in your experience and just being for a little bit. Yeah, it's not just about checking boxes. It's about it's about the enjoyment of the experience. And you know, I experimented with this concept, obviously with a month, you know, five weeks in Bali last last year, but also when my family, we had a family vacation earlier this year where we went to Spain and we could have done like a grand tour of Spain. We had, you know, 10 days, but we decided to only stay in Barcelona. We stayed in Barcelona. We did, we did one day trip by fast train and then we just enjoyed the city. And it's one of those cities where you can do a lot in the city for a week and not get bored. But I would just, when you're thinking about where you go, think about staying longer. And, and that will reduce your, the, like your, that will save money as far as your budget is concerned and will also allow you to deepen your experience in each place. So that's just something to, to think about as far as like your, your strategy, if you're gonna be traveling on your own. It's not always about like how fast you can see as many things as possible. It's about kind of, what you can take away from the experience as well. And also like thinking about your local impact, you know, how can you invest in these communities? Like, can you stay in a locally run hostel versus like an international corporation hotel? Um, Thinking very, very thoughtfully about Airbnbs and are they allowed in the place you're going? Is it ethical to stay in an Airbnb in the place you're going? Uh, That is a big issue with crowding people out of their own neighborhoods and things like that. So thinking about the types of, uh, of lodging that you choose and the places that you eat and the places you spend your money is really important. And really thinking and, you know, thinking that in terms of like in setting, um, you know, I know that, that we did our whole sustainability episode earlier this season, but really thinking about, is that something that you can go and you can do more environmental volunteering? If you're working with an organization that is doing environmental work or, you know, tree planting or something like that, really thinking about how you can bring that into your experience on every level. Um, you know, there's offsetting and in setting and just really thinking more about, yes, contributing positively as you're traveling in any way that you can. Mm-hmm. For sure. Speaking of, we know we mentioned a lot about Europe in this episode, and I feel like we need to talk about this new visa situation and some other like logistics. But I kind of want to shift into talking about this Etias Etias visa thing that's happening. Okay, it's not really a visa; it's an entry requirement. 
but this is it's a travel authorization that's the that's what that's what the european union is saying so basically if you're an american with just american citizenship you are allowed to go to most of the countries in europe you land there and you kind of have like what's called visa free entry where you can stay for up to three months at a time within a six month period and you can move within the borders once you enter through say you entered into france you can move around most of mainland europe without any border checks because of these open border agreements that that happen within this this zone and uh because there's been a lot of uh, disruption travel disruption migration and illegal movement issues in europe they've instituted this travel authorization that the that every american is going to be required to do now if you were over the age of 18 where you'll just have to do like a simple online form you pay like eight dollars and then you get this travel authorization that's connected with your passport uh they don't have a date when it will go live yet i just want to put it on people's radar if you are taking a gap year in 2024 this will likely be a step that you need to do before you go to europe so just uh you can learn more by googling e-t-i-a-s travel authorization and kind of get the all the information you need and and do that thing it shouldn't be that hard but it's just important for people to know so that you don't show up without it <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, visas are an important thing to think about when you're looking at, at travels generally. And I know that there's some really great places that do some kind of working holiday visas. And this could be a really interesting option for a gapper if you're interested to go spend a little bit more time somewhere and work while you're there. So mm -hmm. do you want to tell us a little bit more about some of these working holiday visas? Oh my gosh, it's awesome. So, so a lot of students want to have a cost neutral or cost positive experience while being away from home. And you can do that in the States if you want to kind of like, if you're, if you live in Maryland, but you want to go work in Aspen for the winter, like you can go do that. And that's an amazing opportunity. You can also do that abroad in certain countries. So if you are an American, you can get these things called working holiday visas, which are special authorizations, usually for younger people, 18 to 30 is usually like the age range. And they're usually good for up to a year, sometimes two years. And they have every country kind of has a different arrangement, different requirements, different levels of difficulty to get them. So if you are an American and in that age bracket, you can work in Australia, Ireland, Singapore, New Zealand, Canada, and South Korea. Sometimes other countries will allow you to have teaching visas as well, like Thailand, Japan, other places have like specialty visas that you can get to teach abroad and teach English, but you usually have to have a bachelor's degree. So if you are a gap year student and you have not yet matriculated to your university, you're only allowed to work in Australia, New Zealand, or Canada. So that, and Canada has a lottery system. So when you really come down to it, the easiest places to do a working holiday visa as an 18 year old gap year student who has not started college is Australia or New Zealand. So to kind of like pull all the world into focus, like those are my favorite places to take, to send people to with New Zealand kind of edging out Australia for ease of travel and ease of getting jobs and logistics and things like that. So that's just a little bit about working holiday visas. They're very easy to secure in both Australia and New Zealand. You can do them online. And you, uh, if you do the New Zealand one, you're, it's good for uh, up to a year. So awesome. And definitely one of, again, you'd have to pay to get there, obviously. And those places are somewhat far. But I think in terms of costs, if you're making money while you're there, that could potentially be a really great, as you said, cost neutral or cost positive gap year experience. So that's awesome. Yeah. And we should do, eventually we should do like a whole episode on working holiday stuff because it's really interesting and fun and a great way to travel. So Love um, it. maybe in the future, we yeah. can add that to the list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Oh man, we've been talking for a long time. We should probably wrap it up. If, if you're still with us and listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we get a little bit too excited when it comes to talking about travel and places that we want to go or have been. Uh, it's easy to kind of get inspired if you're someone who loves that sort of thing. So we 
will stop rambling. Julia, what else did you want to leave the listeners with today? I will add some stuff to the show notes too, but I just think that if you're planning a gap year for 2024, obviously like thinking about all these things we've already chatted about and thinking about the geography of where you want to go, the types of travel you want to do, and then starting to work on your budget. Those are the kind of building blocks. But then when you start to get down into like some things that could help you, there are a couple websites and apps that I think are really useful. Um, if you're looking for complex travel itineraries, using Skyscanner as your search uh, flight search function, I think is really good because it includes airlines and itineraries that sometimes are not included on Expedia or Google flights and things like that. So Skyscanner is your friend. If you want to use a travel con- a travel agent, for your complex flight itineraries, like if you're doing an around the world trip, there's an organization called Airtrex, which is really good, I highly recommend. Um, if you want uh, an app to help you with translating while you are abroad, like when I go to Costa Rica, my Spanish speaking husband will not be with me, I'll be traveling solo, I will need Google Translate. Download Google Translate and then you can actually download it for offline use. So you can download the Spanish like category or dictionary and it will allow you to translate things in real time. You can actually like, someone can speak into your phone and it will translate it for you. You can translate back. It's so useful, especially if you're going to a place with a complex, you know, you would never be able to learn it type of language. It's so good. Uh, We actually used it in Turkey um, recently when I was flying through Istanbul and we were out um, in, in downtown Istanbul and we got a cab back. The Turkish taxi driver was talking to us, like just talking in Turkish at us. And he was so friendly and we had no idea what he was saying. So we brought out the Google Translate and before you know it, we were having like a full on conversation with our taxi driver. And he was trying to tell us that he was moving, he was driving to a bakery and he wanted to know if we wanted any food from the bakery. <laughs> and it was so wild. Anyway, Google Translate's great. Um, definitely download rideshare apps that are local to your destination. So some places use Uber, some places Uber's like outlawed and they use a different thing. Like when I was in Bali, I used this app called Gojek to, um, which does taxis as well as motorbike taxis. So find out the local rideshare app, have it downloaded before you leave. Um, another amazing, amazing, amazing app uh, and website is Rome to Rio. This will help you map how to get from place to place. So if you have, if you're like, I wonder how I can get from like Amsterdam to Rome, you can pl- pop it in this you know search engine thing and it will tell you like you can take the bus you can take the train you can drive and all the costs associated with each option so that's a great starting point for figuring out how to get from point a to point b and then whatsapp is amazing too if you're traveling abroad whatsapp is going to be your friend it is basically like a non-data uh way to text and call on your phone so that you don't have to use data um you can as long as it's coordinated with your um with Wi-Fi, you can use your phone. So those are a few. I'll add a couple others in the show notes as well, but those are some of my favorites. Yes, lots more resources to come for sure. Another thing cool about WhatsApp, I will say, is a lot of times if you get local SIM cards abroad, they'll give you free unlimited WhatsApping. So something to look at as well. I've seen that in a few different places. So a great way in a lot of most of the world that I've experienced so far uses WhatsApp to communicate. So great way to go about that. Also, like hot tip, if you have friends with Android phones and you are an iPhone user, WhatsApp will also allow you to like text more easily in group chats. So we've had to move over to WhatsApp with some of my group chats because of the Android users. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, no, what's, WhatsApp is awesome. So yes, a bunch more resources that we'll be throwing in the show notes for you all. But I hope you all are getting very excited about Gap Your Exploration Month and looking at the various options and resources that are going to be heading your way. Yes. So, you know, by the way, like if you have any questions or comments for us, you can reach us at gapyourradio at gmail.com. 
we are on the web and online and all those other places. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and all those places at Gap Your Radio. GapYourRadioPodcast.com is our website. If you have a moment to leave us a review, we would love to hear. Of, uh, we'd love for that. It helps more people find the show. And what else did I forget, Margot? Anything else? If you have any ideas for upcoming episodes or questions, definitely feel free to email us. I think Julie already said, but gapyourradio at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs>